Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The one that was in this room, Easter of 2020, doing live stream two years ago when the pandemic hit. The past two years have added a lot of stress to our lives. We think about all the anxiety and all the things that have happened. We've had all the issues related to COVID. Right now, we have high gas prices. We've got high inflation. We've got supply chain issues. There's a war between Russia and Ukraine. There's the stress of what's going on in the southern border. There's a rise in crime, not to mention all of the sexual confusion that our children and youth are bombarded with on a daily basis from the media and television and movies. It's a crazy world in which we live. And we can look around our world, we can look around our nation, we can look around our community, and let's make it even more personal. You can look into your workplace and you can look into your own family and you can come away with a sense of hopelessness. Hopelessness. There doesn't seem to be much optimism about our future in our nation right now. There seems to be a sense of hopelessness. But today, we celebrate Jesus rising from the grave. And because Jesus bursts forth from the tomb, there's tremendous hope, there's tremendous victory in Christ over sin, death, and hell. And so as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday today, what I want us to do is I want us to leave this place with an overwhelming sense of hope. Not hopelessness, but hope because Christ has risen from the dead. You might be in a situation today, you may have walked into this place today, and you may think, you know what, Pastor Sean, you don't know the situation I'm living in. It seems pretty hopeless. Got a lot of anxiety, got a lot of stress, a lot of things hitting me. And I don't know what's going on in all of your lives, but I do know this. The empty tomb of Jesus brings us hope. And so as we think about the resurrection, I'm drawn to the Apostle Peter. If you remember Peter, he was this bold, this bold disciple that was going to follow Jesus all the way, right? Until he denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. He cowered in fear, and then he went out and he wept bitterly because of his sin. But yet, for Peter, everything changed when he went to the empty tomb. So let's look in our Bibles at Luke chapter 24, and let's read the account in Luke's gospel of the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why? Do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling at the empty tomb. Later on, after Peter denied Jesus three times, the Lord restored him. And Peter became the leading apostle. If you go look at the book of Acts, Peter can't stop talking about the resurrection. He just can't get over it. He can't get over the empty tomb. It seems like almost every time Peter is standing up to preach or to speak in the book of Acts, he's always talking about the empty tombs. Think about the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 23 and 24 Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised Jesus from the dead. Listen to how Peter addresses the religious leaders who put Jesus to death. In Acts 3.15, he says, You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. God raised the author of life that you killed to death, to life. And then when Peter goes to Cornelius' house to share the gospel with him, Acts 10, 39-41, And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The resurrection radically changed Peter's life. He couldn't stop talking about it. Everywhere he went, he was talking about the empty tomb. So let's just ask a question this morning. Why is the resurrection so important? Okay, why do we celebrate Easter? Why is it so important? What, how does the resurrection radically change your life? What impact does the empty tomb have upon you? Well, because Peter was saved by grace, was radically changed by going to the empty tomb, what I want us to do this morning is to go to 1 Peter, his first epistle, and see how he never got over the empty tomb and read how he begins his letter. So, if you will humor me, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. This is where we're going to camp out this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I will wait a moment for you to turn there or swipe there or open up there, however you decide to get to it. And if you do not have a Bible today, there are pew Bibles around that you can use as well. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 3. The first few verses are more of introduction, but let's start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, 
He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins with the word blessed. In other words, praise. You can translate it praise. Praise God. Well, why should we praise God? It says, because of His rich mercy towards us, His great mercy towards us. Okay, well, what actually is this great mercy? Well, the great mercy is the resurrection from the dead. Let's ask a question. What is mercy? Peter begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is God's love, God's amazing love, God's amazing compassion and forgiveness and grace towards those who deserve nothing but hell, nothing but judgment, nothing but wrath. God shows tremendous forgiveness and love and compassion toward his enemies. That's what mercy is. Exodus 34, 6, when God appeared to Moses in the cleft of the rock, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Titus 3, 4-5, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Mercy. Now what's the opposite of mercy? The opposite of mercy is judgment. The opposite of mercy is hell. The opposite of mercy is condemnation. And so God gives us mercy. God gives us compassion. And where is this found? Where is this great mercy specifically found? Well, Paul tells us it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have to ask ourselves a question. What are these great mercies, these great blessings, these great showers of compassion that the Lord gives to us through the empty tomb? And from this passage of Scripture, I want us to look at four of them this morning. Four blessings, four mercies, four gifts, whatever word you want to use. God's graciousness to you and me through the empty tomb. What specifically are these? And let's look at four of them this morning. How can we celebrate the riches of God's mercy this morning through the empty tomb? Let's look at these four. Here's the first. God gives you a brand new life. Notice what it says there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Or born from above. Or the new birth. God has caused this. God's the one that's given us this new birth. God's the one that grants us this new life. God's the one that's in charge of it. It's, it's, it's a supernatural gift of grace. Now think about your natural births. Did any of you... Contribute to your natural births? It's not a trick question. Okay, little, little, little biology lesson, okay? Sperm, egg, come together, form a fetus, form a living cell, 
grows into a baby, nine months of pregnancy, and then there's the miracle of childbirth. And praise the Lord, if you've noticed, we've got a lot of babies this morning because we're having a baby boom in our church. So I think like four or five women have just uh, had, recently had babies. And so um, did, did you contribute to your birth? No, you didn't. It was a miracle of childbirth that just happened. The same thing in your spiritual birth. God is the one that gives you this new birth spiritually as a free gift. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 3 to a man named Nicodemus that came and asked him a question about being born again. John 3, 3 through 8. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. You see, here's the point. You and I were once spiritually dead in our sins, and God had to make us spiritually alive. You go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. You go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. You go from being lost to being found. You go from being spiritually dead in your sins to a spiritual resurrection. It's a spiritual resurrection. John 6, 63 it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Spirit has to give you life. God has to make you alive. Ephesians 2, 4-5, God being rich in mercy. There's that wording again. Paul uses the same language that Peter uses. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace You've been saved. Why is it so important that God has to make you born again? Because of the empty tomb. Why is it so important to be born again? Here's the point. If you and I were not born again, we would still be spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, and we would still be guilty, and we would still be hopeless, helpless, and hellbound, and we would deserve nothing but God's judgment because of our spiritual deadness. And so when God makes us spiritually alive, when God gives us a new birth, He turns us into a brand new person, a new identity, a new heart. A brand new life. It was prophesied in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, 26-27. God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God will do a heart transplant. He'll take out that old, dead, sinful heart and he'll give you the Holy Spirit to live inside you. He'll give you the new birth so that 2 Corinthians 5.17 can be true about you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What I find fascinating is that Peter includes himself in this. Notice what Peter says. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. P. 
Peter doesn't say he's caused you to be born again. He says he's caused us. Peter includes himself in that. In other words, Peter could never get over the empty tomb, and Peter himself had experienced this new birth, this spiritual resurrection that all came because of the empty tomb. So the first blessing, the first gift you get is the new birth. You get a brand new life. You get a brand new identity. You get a brand new heart. You get to be born again because of the empty tomb. But let's look at the second thing, the second blessing, the second riches of mercy. Second, God gives you a living hope. Notice what Peter says there again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A living hope. You know, there's a lot of people that operate off of wishful thinking. I cross my fingers and I I hope it turns out. They really don't have a deep sense of peace or assurance that God's going to work things out. Let me just say this point blank. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would be the most hopeless people on earth. There would be no reason for us to even be here this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith's in vain. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, we have a, we have a dead, useless, hopeless hope. <laughs> Hopelessness. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. You see, this living hope is not a desperate holding on to something that you hope it's true. Like, like I hope this is true, or some faded dream or aspiration. I, I want to remind you that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave was a historical fact. There were over 500 witnesses to Jesus raising from the dead. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead than any other type of historical event. And as a matter of fact, you can go to the graves of most of the world leaders and see their graves. You can go to Muhammad's grave in Saudi Arabia. You can go to Confucius's grave. You can go to Joseph Smith's grave. You can go to Buddha's grave. You can go to their graves and see where they died. You go to the grave of Jesus, and he's not there. He's risen from the dead. So there is a living hope because of the resurrection. But see, I think a lot of times, unbelievers, those that don't have Christ in their life, they don't have a living hope. They have, I I hope, I cross my fingers. It's not grounded in the cross. It's not grounded in the resurrection. Listen to some of these passages about the hope of those that don't have Christ. Maybe you've never heard these scriptures before. Some from the Old Testament. Job 8.13 Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. The hope of the godless shall perish. Proverbs 10.28 The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Then Ephesians 2.12, Paul says, Remember that you were at one time, at that time, before you were, you were a Christian, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me just say this loud and clear this morning. If you are here this morning and you are not connected to Jesus Christ in a relationship where He's your Lord and Savior, you are without hope. 
You need the hope of Jesus in your life. Not a wishful thinking, not I I think things are going to turn out okay. No, a rock-solid hope that comes because Jesus rose from the grave, and He's your Lord and Savior. So what exactly is this living hope as opposed to a dead hope? Romans 5.5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What's the living hope? It's It's God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's this deep sense of the love of God in your life given to you because of the empty tomb. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again appraise Him, my salvation and my God. Here's what hope is. When you're going through the most difficult situation in life, when you're going through extreme suffering, when you're going through pain, when you're going through turmoil, turmoil when, when, when you are downcast, you can have hope in the rock-solid promise that God is for you and the tomb is empty and God will never leave you or forsake you. Only Christians have that hope. Only those that have a relationship with Christ have that kind of hope. And notice that Peter calls it a living hope. A living hope, which reminds us that we can only have life through Jesus. 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You see, why do we need a living hope? Why do we need a living hope? We live in a world of hopelessness. We look around at the things that are going on in our nation even our neighborhoods, maybe even our own families, and we can be hopeless. But see, for a Christian, it's not misplaced optimism that crosses its fingers. It's, it's no, it's, it's a deep-seated hope that God's in control. God's in charge. God will work all things out. Why? Because the tomb is empty. Because we serve a Savior who is alive. One scholar said this, without the resurrection of Christ, our rebirth would be impossible and our hope would be meaningless. We would have no hope and we would have no ability to be born again without the resurrection. Let's look at the third promise. This is a fun one. Third, God promises you an amazing inheritance. So not only has God caused you to be born again, given you a brand new identity. Not only has God caused you to have a living hope, but number three, God promises you an amazing inheritance. And notice how Peter describes it in three ways there. In verse four, to an inheritance that's imperishable. It doesn't rot. It doesn't decay. It's permanent. Not like the things of this world. It's, it's, it's imperishable, undefiled. That means it's pure. It's holy. It's perfect. Heaven will be a place of of perfection. Notice how Revelation describes heaven. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's talking about heaven. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then this inheritance is unfading. My son, Aiden, is 24 now. It's hard to believe. But when he was a little boy, he used to want to get these toy airplanes like from the airlines. So he had American Airlines toys, toy planes, and he had Frontier, and I think he had Southwest. And so there was this toy store 
down in old Colorado City. We lived in Colorado Springs at the time. And you could go down and get these little airplane toys, okay? And so let's just pretend like when Aiden was little, he wanted a United Airlines toy plane for his birthday. Daddy, I want a United Airlines plane. Okay, so it comes time for Aiden's birthday. And he opens up the box, and there's no United Airlines little plane in there. It's a piece of paper. It's like, Daddy, what's this? It's a piece of paper. What is this? I want a United Airlines plane. Well, here's the kicker. Let's pretend I'm the president of United Airlines, and I give him the title deed to the entire airline. Aiden, I'm not giving you an American Airlines plane. I'm giving you the entire United Airlines, the entire fleet of planes, the entire company. I'm giving you more than you'd imagine. And do you think at that point, Aiden's going to be like, oh, wow, <laughs> so much for the little toy. I want the entire airline. See, that's what God does with our inheritance. Heaven is going to be something far more than you can imagine that God has for you. He's got these great riches for you in heaven. And notice what it says there. It's being kept in heaven. That, that word kept means it's on permanent reservation. I'm so glad you don't have to worry about God losing your reservation when you show up at heaven. Does anybody have ever happened to anybody? Like you're traveling for a long period of time, you got the kids in the car, you drive across country, you get to the hotel, you walk in, and we lost your reservation. Well, I don't, what happened? We lost your reservation. I'm sorry, you can't stay here. We lost your reservation. That's like the worst feeling. When, we, when I was in eighth grade, our family went to Hawaii. And we had gone to um, Oahu first, and then we went to Kauai, and then we finally went to the big island of Hawaii. And we were kind of tired. It was the end of the trip. And we get to the place that we were supposed to stay, and they lost our reservation. And my mom was livid. And I saw my dad haggling with the front desk guy. But here's what happened. I don't know what happened all behind the scenes. I just know that my dad got in the car with a big smile on his face, and we drove down the street. Guess what happened? Because they lost our reservation, the hotel owner said, we're going to upgrade you to the presidential suite at a condo down the street. <laughs> so we got to spend the last four days of our trip in Hawaii in the presidential condo suite. We got upgraded because they lost our reservation. Thankfully, God doesn't do that, okay? God doesn't lose your reservation. Your reservation for heaven is kept on reserve for you by God. God is keeping it there for you. Notice what else it says. It says God is guarding you. Who by God's verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. God's power is guarding you. In other words, that, that word was used to, to talk about an army, an army of troops and how an army would protect a city from an oncoming enemy. God is, is guarding your inheritance. God is going to make sure you get there. God's going to make sure you get to heaven. God's going to make sure that you have your inheritance waiting for you in heaven on permanent reserve. You know, I've never really had to go through this before, but maybe you have. When a family member dies, and there's the, the will, last will and testament, and, and you're talking about inheritance, who gets what? And maybe the thing that you really wanted to get from your loved one Somebody else got. And there's some sibling rivalries and people are fighting and, and there's just all this conflict in the family because things weren't written into the will the way you wanted them to be. And it causes a lot of division and hard feelings. That's not the way God has treated us. God has written your name in the will and it's always going to be there and you're not going to have to worry 
if your inheritance is going to be given to someone else. There's going to be no competition, no division, no disappointment. Ephesians 1.11, In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. We have an inheritance. Now why is it important that you have an inheritance? Without an inheritance, you wouldn't be part of the family. Without an inheritance, you'd still be on the outside of God's family. You'd still be an enemy. You'd be spiritually bankrupt. You would have nothing. And so one of the things that is the great joy is that God will give us that wonderful inheritance. So let's retrace our steps this morning. We've seen three so far. So the first riches of blessing is, number one, you're born again. You get a brand new life, a brand new identity. God changes you from the inside out. Number two, you have a living hope as opposed to a dead hope. It's a living hope that you can trust in God and his promises. And number three, you have this amazing inheritance waiting for you in heaven. God's keeping it on reserve for you. God's not going to let you be lost. God's going to get you to the end. He's got that inheritance waiting for you in heaven. But here's the fourth. God will rescue you from final judgment. Look at how it ends there in verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a salvation that's ready to be revealed. Now, it's interesting, that word revealed is the actual Greek word apocalypse, or the very first words of the book of Revelation about the second coming of Christ. This, this salvation is ready to be revealed. In other words, it's on God's calendar. It's on God's timetable when the end's going to happen, when Jesus is going to come back, when there will be the day of judgment. There's that eternal calendar. And on that final day, when Jesus does come back in power and glory because of the resurrection, you and I, because we've been born again, because we have a living hope, because we have this inheritance, we will receive that future salvation instead of judgment on that final day when Jesus comes back. We won't receive judgment. We'll receive salvation. Paul says in Romans 5, 8 through 9, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You because of the empty tomb, will be saved from the wrath of God on that final day when Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ suffered on the cross, died for our sins, rose again, experienced all the anguish and pain of the cross, rose again so that you and I could have salvation we would not have to endure the judgment of hell. So these are four wonderful riches of mercy, blessings that come to us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're born again. We're born again to a living hope. We're born again to a living hope to an amazing inheritance. We're born again to a living hope to an amazing inheritance to a future salvation instead of judgment. But let's ask a question. Are these blessings automatic? Do these just come to you automatically? Do you earn them by being good? 
Do you have to try really hard to reach some level of spirituality or some level of obedience in order to get these blessings to you? Do you have to be a good person? Do you have to go to church enough? Do you have to obey the Ten Commandments enough? Do you have to be spiritual enough? Do you have to do something to get in God's good graces to earn this mercy? What must you do to receive this mercy? And here's the answer. You can't do anything to receive this mercy except for one thing. You receive them by faith. By faith alone. Notice what Peter says. Let's read this whole passage again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, great, are being guarded through faith through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. These blessings come by faith. Let me say it this way. Your salvation is not by achieving, but by receiving. It's not something you can achieve. You can't do enough good. You can't earn it enough. You can't put God in your in, in obligated to save you. You can't do enough to earn these blessings. You can't achieve them. All you have to do is receive them. Receive them as a free gift of grace. By faith. What's faith? Here's what faith is. Faith says, I have empty hands. Only thing I bring to God is my sin. I'm reaching out with my empty hands of sin and guilt, and I'm saying, God, here's me. I offer you nothing, and you reach out and you receive the free gift of Christ that God gives you in the good news of the gospel. You rest in Christ. You rest in God's power to save you. You put all of your hope in Jesus Christ alone to forgive you and to, to, to stop trusting in yourself and stop trusting in your level of spirituality and stop trusting in your ability to good. Stop trusting in what you can achieve and simply, achieve, and simply receive what Christ has done for you. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone? Let's ask some questions. Have you been born again? Do you have this new life that only Christ can give? Or are you still dead in your sins? Are you still spiritually dead and separated and alienated from God? Have you been born again? Okay, let's ask the second question. Do you have a living hope? Do you have the hope to know that your sins have been forgiven? It's a living hope. You're trusting in the power of God. Or is it a, a dead hope? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have this amazing inheritance waiting for you in heaven? Are you, do you know you have that inheritance? Do you have the confidence that when Jesus comes back on that final day, you will be saved as opposed to being judged because of your sin? Do you have the hope of eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? If you can't say yes to those questions then cry out today for Jesus to save you. 
plead for his mercy. Say, Jesus, I can't contribute anything to this. All I do is cast myself at your mercy. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in the empty tomb. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you're the only way. I believe that you died for my sins. And I will tell you this, if you cry that out to Jesus, you will find Jesus' arms open, ready, willing, and able to receive you and save you and bring you into his family. He stands ready to receive you today. You know what Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus when Lazarus was dead and Mary and Martha, his sisters, were there and they were, everybody was weeping? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How do you answer Jesus' question? Do you believe this? Do you believe he's the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he died on the cross and rose again? Do you believe he's the only one that can save you from your sins? If you believe that, if he is your only hope this morning, then on this resurrection Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, would we all praise him? Would we all praise him for the riches of his wonderful mercy that have come to us because Jesus died on the cross and he victoriously rose from the grave? He's, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance that's undefiled, unperished, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Are you ready to receive Jesus today? Let's say it one more time. He is risen. He is risen. He's risen. He's risen. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. And as we gather before you this morning and think about the empty tomb and think about these wonderful riches of blessings that come from you, we just want to take this time to pause before you and just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the empty tomb. Thank you, Jesus, for causing us to be born again. Thank you for giving us a living hope. Thank you for giving us this inheritance. Thank you for saving us from hell on that final day. And Lord, my prayer is if there's, if there's anybody here today that's never trusted Christ for salvation, that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day where they cry out to Jesus for that salvation. They would believe in the empty tomb. And so Lord, we just come before you today with joy in our hearts, we are so thankful for all the ways that you've been good to us. Help us just to, uh, to worship you the rest of this day. Help us to live in light of the empty tomb. Help us to have joy as we leave this place. Help us to, to go in the freedom and the forgiveness that come through what Christ alone has done. And Lord, may not anybody leave this place without the hope of eternal life. Lord, we want to leave this place with hope. So Holy Spirit, would you give us hope? Would you fill our hearts with joy as we leave this place? Help us to always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen.